Hello everyone, we're back with Prompted, and this is going to be episode two. And so last week, we were giving the prompt, come down here and explain your goddamn chart. So this was a bit of a fun one. So did everyone want to, so I'm Izzy and I got the genre romance. Did everyone else want to introduce themselves and say what they got? Um, I'm Bella and I got comedy. I'm Erin and I got paranoid. Cool. And how did you guys find the prompt for this week? So it was a bit of a fun one. Really, really fun. I (laughs) had such a good time because I was inspired by people in my life. So it was really, really, really fun. Um, Yeah, comedy is a genre I enjoy writing. So if those people are listening and they know who they are, they definitely know who they are because they've they've read the piece. They and they approved. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right then. What about you, Erin? How did you find it? Um, So can I say what paranoid is because I wasn't entirely sure of it. Yeah, go for it. So paranoid, it's not actually a person just being paranoid, as it sounds. Um, It's where you don't entirely trust the person who's telling the story, like in the film Taxi Driver or in the film Fight Club or in a couple of Anthony Horowitz books, um, where you can tell the person telling the story has changed things. Um, I see, like, yeah. real unreliable narrator, basically. Yeah, basically, That yeah. must have been really interesting to write. It, it, was, it was hard to squish into the, the time slot. But yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to explain the context of where I got this um, the prompt because obviously I get these prompts by just eavesdropping on people and I hear conversations and stuff like that, and I write them down. This one actually came from a group chat, and we have in our house we've got this little chart, like studenty chart, and on it it's got a section of pulls. And our flatmate, who's very, very quiet, one day we just saw that under his name was a little tick in the section of pulls. And we were all, it was the biggest scandal scandal ever and yeah, we were all just making newspaper him come worthy see it. scandal. <laughs> newspaper worthy. That's good. Like boyfriend girlfriend now. Very, very cute. <laughs> very cute. <laughs> Anyway, so who did we say was going to go first this time? I believe it was Bella. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm going first this time. Um, I've got a slightly longer prompt than last week, so mm-hmm. should be enjoyable. I didn't use the context. I uh, In this, it's kind of a vague um, interpretation of it, but the chart is a heating bill okay. kind of-ish. I'm, I tried to link it somehow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Izzy, you're playing... Uh, Wick, who comes in later, uh-huh. and Erin, you're playing Benji, um, and I'll be playing Foley and Vivian. So, okay. <laughs> All right, then go for it. Sugar? I breathe sharp, picking my head up off the table. What? I said you want sugar. I blinked at him deliriously. In your tea. Oh. I scratched at my scalp and tried not to spray dandruff over the floor. No, I'm good, thanks. All right. Benji scooped up the tea bags and tossed them into our brown porcelain pot full of them. It never got emptied. There was probably more mould in there than tea. Foley shuffled into the kitchen, one foot socked and the other one yellow and dusty. He yawned cavernously and stretched his arms, an acrid scent coursing through the room. Oh, man. Benji pinched his nose and puckered his mouth. You proper stink. Pas my charm. He grinned and then fetched a glass of water. I shook my head. For God's sake, shower, I spat. You first, he countered. We fell into companionable silence, save for Foley's noisy slurping. It was 8.26 on a Friday morning. The weekend was here to liberate us. I dug in my pocket and drew out a packet of crowns. I pulled one out with my teeth and then offered it to the others. Smoke? Before breakfast. Benji whined, gritting his teeth when Foley gratefully accepted. I provided the bick and we lit up. Wholesome. 
Salubrious, I said, grinning widely, widely, I would say. Of course you would, wise guy. Foley tapped his ash into Benji's abandoned cereal bowl carelessly. Boys, what's on the agenda? Don't know about any agenda, I mumbled, voice distorted by the stick in my mouth. But I got work at nine. Screw you, Viv, you always do this. Take it to the man. I stood, pulling on my jacket. Benji tapped his now polluted bowl of milk dregs. Vivian, breakfast. I picked up my tea, swilled it, and then finished it in three large swallows. The heat smacked the back of my throat viciously. I coughed, grimacing thinly at Benji. There. Unbelievable. I toked thrice on my cigarette, the smoke spooling like early London fog. Man, I gasped and mashed the filter into an ashtray atop the radiator. Don't go, Foley begged, leaning over the table. Call in sick. I scoffed. I called in sick last week. But you were actually sick then. Almost as if that's the correct use of a sick day, Benji added. I gotta go in, I said. Foley swiped his dirty nose and huffed in displeasure. I won't make rent this month. The air went heavy as a lipo landfill. I could hear the nervous tap of Benji's foot under the table, almost in sync with the dripping of the tilted cold tap. I was little more than shrapnel these days. Have a good day at work, Viv, Benji said. Don't let, Wick, don't let Wick get up too late, I shot back, plucking my name tag from the fridge freezer. He's got an interview later. I would later learn that Wick, true to his character, overslept. A few sly gains of chems and a bottle of copper whiskey were typical of a Friday night. The talking heads were the band of choice that evening. Wick, particularly when it came to his mixer and all out of pineapple juice, had started watering it down with a week-old carton of chocolate milk. The rest of us kept it warm and neat. We were all out of rocks. Whose goes it? Foley asked. Jesus Christ. Wick cried, throwing up his hands. This is Kem's, Foley. There aren't turns. You're the dealer. You need to deal the next round. Why am I the dealer? Because it's your turn. But Wick just said there ain't no turns. I kicked the table leg. I'm getting another drink. Wick followed me to the counter and shook his own glass. I emptied the last of the carton out into his pool of congealed milk. He leant back onto the fridge. How's work? Fine. You sure? I took a sip of whiskey, lips puckered. Too warm. It's not as if it matters. Why not? Don't have money. Can't quit. Foley swung round in his chair, thrusting his arm into the conversation. I think you should anyway. I grinned at him. Oh yeah? Well, you think lots of stupid things. Lots of stupid things, but lots of happy things too, he shot back. Happiness doesn't pay the bills, Foley, I said, just as once in a lifetime began to play. You saw the heating bill this month. It was off the charts. And? Benji added. It was absolutely bautic in here. I couldn't feel my damn face half the time. Exactly. I crossed my arms. What, do you have to sit in the dark to live in this country or something? Foley's already skipping the showers. Hey, he said, and Wick snickered. We all sat back down and stared our hands of cards, contemplative. The tap dripped. The clock ticked. We breathed, quiet and confused. It's okay, I said finally to no one in particular. It's fine. Of course it is, came Wick, swilling his milk. Just the way it is, said Benji. Boring, said Foley. Same as it, ev- same as it ever was, Burn sang over and over. Same as it ever was, same as it ever was. And that is it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this piece so much. It's like a real character piece. <laughs> oh, that's probably because it's a real character piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I'm just, think- <clears throat> I'm just thinking about how does... Because you obviously know people who inspired this, but how do you have your own take on them and still come up with it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, these are conversations that haven't actually happened, but, like, because I've listened to conversations like this so many times that I can sort of almost make them up on the spot now. Um, 
they're not ex they're exaggerations of people that I know. They're not like actually people I know. They're very very exaggerated. Um, and I write a lot of work with these characters. Um, this was actually part of a bigger piece I was doing, but I added stuff onto it to make it work as an extract. And um, it's kind of, yeah, it's just supposed to reflect some of the struggles that people our age go through, but also like finding the comedy in those struggles, I guess. Um, yeah, that, that was the piece. I really yeah, enjoyed really it. Interesting. Yeah, so this is the sort of stuff that you really like writing then. Yeah, I love writing this stuff. Um, I wrote a lot of this stuff last year for creative writing. I kind of have branched out this year and written different things, but um, this was my main sort of genre last year. So it was really fun to write. Awesome. Yeah. So, Aaron, you have a piece. I do. I have written a short film, which is probably not a good idea on an audio medium, <laughs> but we're going to make it work. We'll guys. give it a go. I'll just grab it. Um, all right. Have you got your copy? I believe so. It's buried. It's buried all under buried. all the paper. Too many paper and headphones. Um, all right, so I feel like the easiest way to read this is for me to read um, the directions and indicate when there are voiceovers, because a lot of this is voiceover. Mm -hmm. um, does someone want to play Grace, who's the main? I'll grab Grace. You'll take Grace. Um, <laughs> are you okay playing, playing Maya, Bella? I'm happy to play Maya. All right, so I'll do the rest of it. There's, I think there's a boy and a girl who have just one line, so I'll do those as well. Okay. Um, all right. Um, so when I'm reading, it's because it's made up of pictures, it might sound a bit odd, but yeah. Okay. Um, interior, bedroom. Grace is lying on her bed, staring up at the ceiling. The paint is blackened with mold and vibrating with music played from the flat, played from the flat above. Voice over. I wasn't expecting that night, except interrupted sleep. There is a sound of a glass smashing. Grace doesn't flinch. Interior, corridor. Grace knocks on her neighbour's door. It is opened by Maya. The music increases in volume without the door to block it. Maya smiles. Hi, coming in? I wasn't invited, I just... Were we too loud? We were too loud, right? Sorry, it's my birthday. Happy birthday. As Grace turns to leave, Maya catches her arm. Let me make it up to you. Come in, dance a little. I don't dance. Have you got something better to do? Grace hesitates for a second before letting Maya pull her inside. The door closes behind them. Interior, Maya's flat. The two girls dance by pounding speakers in the room under neon lights. Voice over. You are beautiful. Maya dips Grace, staggering little in her heels. Grace throws her head back in laughter. Cut to interior, lecture hall. Grace yawns. She cautiously looks over her shoulder. A few rows back, Maya is staring at her. And you, are, and you are dangerous. A girl next to Grace passes her a note. She opens it to see Maya's name and a phone number scrawled in purple ink. Exterior, street. We see Grace and Maya sitting at a small table through the window of a cafe. They are both talking happily, making big gestures to emphasise their words as the rain pours down outside. Voice over. First you were kind. Interior, classroom. Grace and Maya lean on laptops side by side in companionable silence. Maya leans her head on Grace's soldier, shoulder. Voice over. And sweet. Interior cinema. The couple sit watching a horror movie. As the monster jumps out on the screen, they both scream, spilling the popcorn over each other. Exterior high street. Grace and Maya walk leisurely down the street. Maya takes Grace's hand. Voice over. And I really didn't want it to end. 
Interior, Grace's bedroom. Grace lies on her bed, staring up at the ceiling. The light is off, but the curtains are open. She can still see the mould on her ceiling. Her phone buzzes on the desk. She turns over sleepily, and it buzzes twice more before she can reach for it and read the messages. They are all from Maya. Grace yawns, taps out to reply, and switches off the phone. She closes her eyes. Cut to the same room in daylight. Grace swings her legs out of bed and turns on the phone. Uh, I can't turn the page. Um, <laughs> the device judges in her hand as hundreds of messages come onto the screen, all from Maya. Their words start off as affectionate but become clingy and demanding as she descends into all caps and paragraphs as irritation. Voiceover. Maybe I didn't see you for what you were. Interior, lecture hall. Maya firmly holds Grace's hand as she takes down notes. Grace is unable to type one-handed. She shakes Maya off. Exterior, street. Grace hurry, hur- walks hurriedly down the street with her hands in her pockets. Maya emerges from the crowd and links, hooks her arm through Grace's, drawing her close. Grace flinches. Interior, stairwell. Grace is walking upstairs. Maya is following her. We can't break up. I don't want to break up. Leave me alone. Can we talk about this? I said leave it. Maya stops following. Grace disappears up the next flight of stairs out of sight. Maya sits down on a step, starting to cry. Interior, Grace's bedroom. Grace is lying on her bed. Her phone is vibrating with messages. She ignores them all. Voiceover. You didn't stop. Exterior, street. Grace walks quickly through a crowded street. Maya is pushing past people to get to her, calling her name. Interior, lecture hall. Grace is sitting alone, trying to take notes. She can't concentrate. Slowly, she looks behind her. Maya is staring at the back of her neck. Interior, Grace's bedroom. Grace picks up her phone. There is only one message from Maya, reading, What did I do? Interior, cafe. Maya is sitting at a table alone. Grace takes a deep breath before approaching her. Hello. Maya turns round. She squints. Hi, you're the girl from the party last week, right? I just wanted you to know that you didn't do... Oh, wait. Oh, Grace. <laughs> I just wanted you to know that you didn't do anything wrong. It was me. What are you talking about? Who is this? We see that there is a girl sitting opposite Maya. She was not there a moment ago. Oh, we met at that party. This is... Sorry, I can't remember your name. Interior, stairwell. Grace sits on a step, writing in a notebook. She's recording Maya's timetable. Voiceover. I liked knowing where you were. High Street. Grace walks alone. A few steps ahead of her, Maya and the girl are talking and laughing. Voiceover. And he you were with. Grace's bedroom. Grace checks her phone for messages. There are none. She hears Maya and the girl laugh in the flat above. Grace takes out her timetable and writes laughter, 2.40am. There are several other records of laughter, conversations and timings. Voiceover. It was almost like you were with me. Lecture hall. Grace is colour coordinating her timetable in a lecture. The boy next to her sees it. What is that, some kind of chart? Grace ignores him and looks behind her, to where Maya is sitting with friends. Interior, stairwell. Grace sits alone, writing in her notebook. She's recorded Maya's whereabouts and activities for the last week. Cafe. Maya is still smiling at Grace, slightly confused. I'm Grace. Grace turns abruptly and walks out the cafe. Ooh. Wow. I really liked that. Ah, that got so emotional in the middle. Like, I could really sort of feel it, like, in my stomach and chest. And then there's just the big flip. Like, 
yeah, how did you, what were your thought processes when coming up with this and writing this? Because it's a new genre for you. Yeah, I, I haven't written Paranoid before. Um, I was trying to, because we have kind of the time limit, it was trying to fit a whole story in that you trust the narrator and then realise she's been kind of imagining this whole thing because she's lonely. Mm. Um, so there wasn't that much room for character development, which slightly annoyed me. Um, but I was kind of having to get a very, very short, simple story um, in a short time. Yeah. No, definitely. You definitely, yeah, that flip when you realise that none of that actually happened. Because at first you kind of feel a bit sorry for Grace. Yeah. I guess that was the intention. And then, yeah, there's that flip and you realise how kind of, yeah, sinister it really is. So how, how did you find having such an unreliable narrator? Like, um, did you find that it's difficult to... Because because I've when I've written unreliable narrators before, I find it very difficult because it's difficult to like them. Yes, and it's difficult to write someone who you really don't like unless they're some sort of really fun villain. So yeah, how did you find that? Um, quite difficult because because it was film, it was quite easy to do images which paralleled each other, like all the mm. positions that she, all the places that she was in with kind of her imaginary mayor, then turned out to be places she was in alone um yeah. so that was a way of showing it and as for kind of feeling sorry for her i think i was just trying to show that she was lonely and i guess that's why you yeah. would feel sorry for her until it gets kind of creepy yeah no definitely i guess like if you were to because i guess if you were to expand this piece and stuff like that i guess like it would be really interesting to see where she kind of came from like in some sort of flashback and stuff like yeah. that like her background and why she's like that but the, yeah that was awesome I really like that I think with unreliable narrator as well it's really difficult to not be obvious straight away that yeah. the narrator's unreliable and mm. I think considering the time limit like you did really well I had no idea the twist was coming yeah. so yeah I've always found like with Fight Club for example it's only <laughs> just before the twist that you're kind of like oh my gosh I know what's gonna happen mm. um and that's always really hard to do when you've got an unreliable narrator. Sometimes it's easy to like catch on really fast, but I had I had no idea it was really cool. Yeah, same, definitely. I mean, it happens in... Um, so I've not seen the film Joker, but I've watched videos on it, and they, mm. that sort of thing happens in Joker, where he thinks he's in a relationship with a woman and then turns out he isn't. Oh. Um, I don't actually know how they did it in the film. I think they just kind of showed it and then had a twist where she doesn't know him. But, yeah... Yeah, that's so interesting. I remember that bit, and it was really, un it was really uncomfortable. Oh no! They did it really well, but I was, I wasn't expecting it, and it made me, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Well, I have a piece <laughs> that we can look at. So I was given romance, and I found that quite hard, just because the context of the chart was. It's romantic, so and I sort of knew all about that story, so I found it very hard to um, distance myself from it. So I tried to flip it a bit, but we'll see how it goes. Um, so, who wants to be a little child? I can be a little child if you want me to be. <laughs> you can be a little child. He wants to be a father. I'll take that. And who wants to be Juliet? I can be Juliet. Cool. I'll um, do the narration. This is a, this is a prose piece, um, which is unusual for me. So, yeah. Um, also, apologi I apologise for my voice. I am not feeling very well today, so if I have to cough halfway through, that's why. Um, okay. So, the day Juliet realised she was allergic to books was the saddest day of her life. 
With this in mind, it made sense that the day Juliet discovered antihistamines was the happiest day of her life. Nearly. Her nose still runs, so she has to do a little sniff when she thinks no one can hear. Sometimes, when she's with a customer, she pretends the phone is ringing so she can go around the corner and sniff. Subtle. Real subtle. Thomas the Tank Engine! A girl demands, tugging on Juliet's skirt with a handful of raisins. Her father gives her a look, so she repeats her demand. Thomas the Tank Engine, please! Juliet dons her customer face. Follow me, fat controller. The father frowns. He's a character in the books, slash TV shows, slash model set in the franchise. I wasn't calling your child fat, Juliet says. And you accuse us lot of mansplaining, he says. Perhaps you could direct me to a more senior member of staff? Juliet's customer face flickers to a scowl for just a second. Rude customers aren't a problem. They make great stories, and there are techniques to ensure they don't come back. Juliet pushes her sleeves up. The black petals of her rose peek out from the fabric. The man tenses. She walks over to the children's section. Here is our collection. I recommend the one where Nick and Thomas drive through the woods, rehearsing their play for the Fat Controller. I don't know that one, Daddy, the little girl says, but I want it. Her father smiles and scoops her up so she's level with the books. Your brother will know it. We won't leave until we find it, sweetheart. Juliet disappears around the corner to sniff and laugh. She also sticks her middle finger up at the man because she can. Since when did Thomas the Tank Engine do a Midsummer Night's Dream special? I ask from over her shoulder. She stiffens. I'll write it someday. She won't. She doesn't have the confidence. And I'll read it, I say. Juliet nods, then steps back. I point to the raisin stain on her skirt, just below her waist. What? Oh. She says frantically, then scrubs at it. Why did she have to do that? This is new. Do you want me to try? No, it was only cheap. To be honest, I don't think skirts are my thing. They don't suit me. I, um, better go do the shelves. She trails off, then turns on her heel and walks to the other end of the shop. I approach the man. His daughter has run out of reasons and is about 30 seconds away from a tantrum. The man sifts through the titles, singing ABC under his breath to work out where Nick should appear. We must have run out, I say. There was a huge queue of boys wanting it this morning. The man smiles. That would have done the job. Look, Anastasia, this man is going to help us. That girl had no idea what she was talking about. I don't know about that, I laugh. She's worked here longer. Anastasia flings her limbs into a starfish shape and cries. Juliet sends me the customer's a dumb look. I wink at her. Juliet bends down to reach the lower shelf. She was wrong. Skirts definitely suit her. Why don't you forget about Thomas the Tank Engine and look at the Rainbow Fairies? They'll be about right for her, I suggest, as Juliet bends down again. The man laughs. Don't go there. It's our lifelong struggle. If anything's pink or sparkly, a book cover, clothes, toys, she won't have it. It's a nightmare. She keeps stealing her brother's Lego and following him into muddy puddles. And the so-called scientific experiments she does. My wife spends ages cleaning them up. I'm afraid it's our lunch break now. Shop's close. Have a good day, sir, says Juliet. I shake my head. Let him buy something first. Oh, of course. Sorry, sir. She says, strutting over to the till. Oh, wait. It's timed out. I'm no good at technology. You'll have to show me how to turn it back on. I apologise to the customer and show him out. Juliet aimlessly presses buttons on the till. 
I lean over her and press the on button. I stay there. She knows where the on button is. She wants me to lean over her. Her perfume invites me closer. Have you seen? I whisper. I feel her shake her head. I gave you employee of the month again. Juliet looks at the photo on the wall. When did you take that picture? She asks. I laugh. Oh, it's a nice one, isn't it? You should wear that top more often. I better grab my lunch, Juliet says. Then she ducks under my arm and dashes over to the staff room to sniff. I wait for Juliet to come back. Maybe she's eating in there for a change. It will be one of those foods that you can't eat in a ladylike manner, like a greasy hamburger or a fajita. She wouldn't, wouldn't want me to see her eating that. Another few minutes and she hasn't returned. Oh, she's tying her hair up. It was looking a little messy. Little tufts of hair stick out the top of her head, so she gives up. Then she reapplies the lipstick she only started wearing when I joined. I might give her a raise. We can afford it. She's worked here for years and really should have been promoted by now, but I was always the better candidate. Yeah, I'll give her a raise, and I'll cook her a meal to celebrate. Juliet will be so grateful, but she's earned it. She's good company. Juliet comes back, lunch in one hand, bag in the other. She zips up her coat and leaves. Where are you going? I ask. The door slams behind her. I guess it must be a time of the month. Ooh. <laughs> that is my piece. Is that I, where the chart came in? The chart was like, oh, I guess the, the chart came in at Employee of the Month. Um, yeah, I hated my narrator. But I thought, <laughs> I, yeah, I hate I, your narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to. If I were to expand this piece, I'd really put um, an example of some good male role model in there because. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, I feel like my narrator is so horrible. I really don't want it to be in a piece, a piece of, oh, I hate men, and 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 the dad's not that uh, nice either. And so, um, yeah, I would be really interested to add in like Juliet go outside, and there's like a nice guy out there, like her dad or some uh, her brother looking after her, something like that, just to add that in. Would he redeem himself, this irritating narrator? I don't think so, but I feel like I need some. Um, I would add in some sort of complexity to him like there, there wouldn't be any excuses but there would be a reason why he's got this horrible attitude towards women basically yeah. um, but I just really wanted to show the subtlety of sexism nowadays because I don't think people I, I think in this culture and in this sort of environment people wouldn't be sexist in the way in the traditional way of oh go back to the kitchen or that kind of thing but it would still be there just subtly so I really wanted to show how it can how it comes in society um and yeah it was difficult to get that in a short story so i think if it was expanded i could be a lot more subtle and a lot um more uh, show a lot more complexity to it but yeah i feel like it was really interesting that you made the narrator the one that was sexist because i feel Mm -hmm. as if if you'd sort of come from juliet's point of view it would have been entirely different way of writing it and you've like made the narrator the one you're almost seeing into the mind of the narrator and Mm. it was it was unique yeah well when I was writing the narrator I thought back to in creative writing classes I remember in first year our tutor said about how much she hates that whenever people describe their characters they describe them in a really romantic way as if they're in love with them and it's really creepy and she was saying as writers don't do that but in this one I thought 
I might use that to show how, yeah, creepy this guy is and just to really layer it in there. Um, but, yeah. I was, t- I, was, um, I was teaching The Great Gatsby to someone the other day. And oh, I, I was, love um, that. It's, no, it's, it's a good book, but I had up the description of Myrtle. And um, <laughs> the way Myrtle is... I don't know if anyone's read The Great Gatsby. Um, it's but, my favourite book. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. I love The Great Gatsby. <laughs> oh, fantastic. But um, the way Myrtle is described is basically one of those... She's not beautiful, but she's beautiful type deals. Like, it's mm. kind of like, oh, she like she doesn't... Ha- I think there's a line where it's like, oh, her face doesn't have any beauty in it, but, like, she's got nice hips or something. It's a really strange way of describing uh, it. Yeah, she's so objectified, but she's, she's just... Yeah, she's just an object and not even... Yeah. Uh, I, I love those characters in The Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about being in love with your characters, I feel like we've all this week written about characters that are not, like, necessarily, Mm. like, we've not talked about our characters romantically (laughs) at all. (laughs) We've gone in the opposite direction. (laughs) Well, I just found it so hard when writing romance because, yeah, I just didn't want to do anything too romantic because I feel like that would either draw on the relationship of my flatmate, which I think would be an awful move to do, to talk about his relationship, or it would draw on my own relationship, and I think... I'd, that piece wouldn't be as interesting and I really want to use this radio show to challenge myself and come up with new ideas and stuff. And so, yeah, I didn't really want to retell my own relationship. Yeah, it's why I kind of want to avoid doing too much of the stuff that I did this week because mm. um, it comes quite... It's more natural to me to write this stuff, so I want to come outside of my comfort zone and yeah. be a bit more imaginative and sort of take less from what's around me and start coming up with my own characters and own situations um so yeah i definitely will come back to this type of writing because i enjoy it so much but i really want to use this show as a way to branch out yeah and something i wanted to talk about today as well is um when you guys have a writing prompt how do you use it like i feel like we've show well with we're on episode two now and now we've had six different pieces of writing and i just wanted to ask how you whether a prompt is something that you would want to put in um straight written that lines in it which i think some of us have done or whether it's something that you would just have really subtly maybe not even mention the prompt at all and it's at the back of your mind i've done a bit of both so last week i think i actually used the actual line from the prompt whereas Mm. this week i haven't really I didn't really use the sentence, come downstairs and explain your goddamn chart. Not this time, though it was implied. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the relationship of the kind of flatmates annoying each other was definitely there, though. Yeah, I feel like like come downstairs and explain your goddamn chart happened prior to the the scene, like sort of earlier that morning. Vivian was like, excuse me, why is our heating bill so large? <laughs> like, what is this chart right here? Explain it to me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's definitely in the subtext of, like, I love the, before. I love the idea of them calling, like, a flat meeting and they're all just sitting there and, like, none of them have showered yet. <laughs> <laughs> they all just sat there like, oh, but we had the heating off this month. We don't understand. <laughs> Which actually, that happened in my house um, last month. So we had it off and we still had a huge heating bill and we were kind of sitting there going, what are we doing wrong? Like, how does this work? I can't adult. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so for next week's prompt, um, so we had the first prompt was kind of sinister. 
and we wrote very dark. This prompt was very lighthearted, and we wrote very dark <laughs> in general. So I'm gonna give you guys a very, very sinister but exciting prompt. So this is, I just admitted to having a lethal weapon, and I know where you sleep. Charming. <laughs> would I be like I'm looking at you right now? Would I be correct in knowing where who said this? I don't think you were there. I wasn't there, but I feel like this matches someone that I know. Is it not someone I know? No, no. <gasps> this one isn't Sydney. Oh. <laughs> Can we also just clarify that no one we know owns a lethal weapon? Yeah, oh no. That's <laughs> Yeah, thank God. <laughs> this was yeah, this was said in jest, but I thought it sounded really sinister, so I kept it. Um yeah, what are your guys' initial responses to the prompt? I'm going to go wild. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you guys think that you could, would bring this, make this a lighter piece? Or is our thing just not lighthearted stuff? Well, it depends what genre I get, I think. Mm, if I romance. get, yeah, romances. <laughs> um, like I got comedy this week, so it was kind of an easy decision. Like you can mm. work dark themes into comedy, but it was an easy decision to make it a bit lighter. Yeah. Whereas if you get paranoid, it's like it's quite, you know, yeah. you have to be more dark, mm. I suppose. No, definitely. No, I, yeah, I think this one's going to be a really, really interesting one. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, speaking about prompts, I found it this week, I found the prompt, at first I found it, so it, I was thinking about the prompt and then I thought about the ta a tangent of the prompt. And I decided not to do that. I, th I think my tangent was something, it was going to be something related to online dating, um, but I don't have experience in that, so I decided not to. And this, But this piece was inspired by that tangent of online dating. Oh, some people can be a little bit disrespectful in that. Oh, let's talk about this. Um, so at first I felt a little bit restricted by the prompt, but then I realised, um, so, so then I just sort of wrote it anywhere and the prompt wasn't anywhere in there at all. There weren't any charts at all. Um, sort of mentioned or alluded to. But then it got to the point where I was really stuck and I felt like it had to build up to some sort of action or hideous moment where the narrator turned from a little bit creepy and horrible and sexist to completely know that this guy's awful and threatening and stuff. And so that's when I added in the moment where he leaned over her and talked about the employee of the month photo. I just, that was the last minute add-in because... Um, yeah, I went back to the prompt and used it to help me. So I just thought that was interesting. I found that last year in particular, if I wanted to write about something I didn't have experience in, I decided to get experience in it. Like it was a really, like I went on oh, lots I of different your... misadventures. Yeah. Um, I tried to be inspired by certain like gonzo journalist pieces and like go and do the things myself and then write them as if characters were playing them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was always really fun. But I think what we'll do with genres is we'll have to draw them off air again just because we haven't found a genre creator. But I, th I think this week it'd be interesting. We came up um, on the group chat, we came up with a list of genres that we'd like to try um, that we haven't really um, thought about trying yet. And th these can be ones, um, a lot of them are theatre genres just because I know a lot of theatre genres. But I was thinking it would also be quite interesting. I, I reckon we could still use them in a prose style. Um, and, and definitely the... Th 
uh, genres like absurdism and stuff like that will come in. So yeah, next week we're going to hopefully go for a few more interesting, a little bit different genres. Um, yeah. I can always create a genre generator or sort of like bring a hat in with lots of genres so that we can do it on air next time. Do you have a hat? I have a hat. I have lots of hats. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll be really interesting. So I th- think we're coming towards the end of our show now. And um, so what I wanted to say was just a few thank yous. So thank you so much for listening. Um, and for more prompts and writing, you can go to our Instagram, which is Prompted Original Writing. Um, if you want writing advice or want to share your responses to one of our prompts that we've used on the show or on our Instagram, please DM us or comment or find a way to message us. Um, and we'll take a look at them because that'll be really interesting. We've already seen how different and interesting all of our responses are to the same prompt. It'll be really interesting to see what your responses are. You can find us on Anchor FM, uh, which distributes us to Spotify, Google Podcasts and many more platforms. Um, Thanks to Raw 12.51am for hosting us. And thanks again for listening. And so it's a goodbye from Izzy. Goodbye from Bella. Goodbye from Erin. Thank you, Mo.